Well, if you would, please turn your Bibles to Isaiah 29. We'll be starting in verse 9. And just to kind of help all of us remember, last week we were talking about the woe to Ariel, which was another name given to Jerusalem, and we're in the middle of that. And so we're going to pick up in the middle of that. And if you remember, last week we covered the fact that Ariel... One of the things that it said about them was they were to add year to year and let them kill the sacrifices. And the idea of that was that when they would come to God, everything was just kind of ritual. There wasn't their heart in it. There wasn't a number of things. Well, Isaiah is going to kind of pin that down this week. So we'll start in verse 9. We'll read to verse 14. It says, Stay yourselves and wonder. Cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. <coughs> Excuse me. And the vision of all is become unto you as words of a book that is sealed. I think if it, he was writing today, he would almost use the word encoded. You, know, you can't, can't understand what you're reading. Which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he sa saith, I can't, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. And so Isaiah continues in his woe unto Ariel with what I call the blindness of disbelief. He knows that the rulers, the civil leaders, the ones that are influencing all the people, they want an alliance with Egypt. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. He's going to just bluntly put it that way. But right now he's alluding to it. And he keeps telling them to trust God. And they don't believe him. And so he says to them in verse 9, Stay yourselves and wonder. I kind of looked at that. And stay yourselves and another way we would put it is wait and wonder. Wait. Wonder what God's going to do. And then he says, cry out and cry. And another phrase for that is blind yourselves. And as I thought about that, it kind of made me wonder, you know, how, how is that? The way he, you know, the way he's saying that, how is that going to happen? The way he's really saying, 
to them is kind of a sarcasm. I remember taking a particular math class and the math teacher was talking way over my head. My eyes glazed over and my brain activity went flat. Just didn't get it. Okay, and that was because he was talking over my head. But if you remember, Isaiah has told them, you say I'm dabbling like I'm talking to children. So he wasn't talking over their head. The issue was they weren't interested. They didn't want to believe. And so what he's really doing here with sarcasm and a phrase that we wouldn't put that way, we would say, okay, have it your way. Go ahead, be blind. Don't see what's coming. Don't see how God can save you from all the things going on around you, from the, the saber rattling and all the stuff going on. And so cry out and cry is really another way of saying go ahead and be blind. It's just a difference in the translation as far as cry versus blind. And then he says they are drunken, but not with wine. And they stagger, but not with strong drink. And so instead of a physical stupor, they're in a spiritual stupor. They're basically going around and they just can't see what God is doing. And so he's highlighting to them, you think you're going to save yourselves by making an alliance with Egypt? But in doing that, you're totally ignoring God. I kind of like the way the ESV put that verse. It kind of helped me, you know, to, to put those bullets up for you. It said, astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. And so this verse kind of introduces the fact that The southern kingdom, Judah, Jerusalem, Ariel that he's talking to, they're in a spiritual sleep, a spiritual stupor. They're blind to what God is doing around them. Um, If you think about us today, many times we see things going the wrong way. Do we see God's hand in it? Or do we wring our hands and get upset about it? Sometimes there's a mixture. (laughs) Sometimes it's probably a little of both. Because we don't like seeing things going the wrong way when we know clearly what's right and wrong. They were in a spiritual stupor where they didn't even see it. There's a lot of people around us today that are in the same condition. They don't see how wrong some of the things are that are going on around us. But then in verse 10, he introduces us to something that is quoted by Paul. Anyone know where it's quoted? The fact that God's going to pour out upon them a spirit of slumber. Any verses come to mind in the New Testament? God's poured out a spirit of slumber upon them. I'll help you. It's in an epistle or a book in the New Testament that Paul wrote. 
Okay, Romans. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans 11. So I'm going to read Isaiah real quick. Verse 10, For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and closed your eyes, the prophet and your rulers and seers hath he covered. In Romans 11, verse 1, Paul introduces the topic of God's people, God's chosen people, talking about the Jewish people. And he says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. And then if you'll go down to verse 8, that kind of tells us what he's talking about. And then he says, according as it is written, and this is where he's quoting directly from Isaiah, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear until this day. And I believe that has continued even to our day. But Paul in his day was writing about what's God doing with his people? What is God doing with the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And the answer is, he's given them a spirit of slumber. He's put upon them a spiritual blindness as a whole. Now, does that mean every single Jew is that way? No. It's them as a collective group, a people group. But there are exceptions to that. Paul was an exception to that. And so he's saying God has given them this spirit of slumber so that they won't see until that day, which was his day when Christ came. They didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. But we can also say that still today, in Acts, we read about the day of Pentecost when the church was formed, and it was predominantly Jewish people. But as Paul went out, being the apostle to the Gentiles, the Gentiles embraced Messiah. The Jews as a whole, as a majority, rejected Messiah. But there are some, like Paul and like the early church leaders and the early church, uh, that were Jewish. And so there were some. There was a remnant that was that way. And so Isaiah foretold of this event. And so moving back to Isaiah, he's talking about woe to Jerusalem. And he says, you know, okay, go ahead and be blind. God has poured out this spirit of slumber. Beth? Well, I think eventually he does, but I think we can all be grateful that his grace gave them a spirit of slumber so that the Gentiles are included in his salvation. And so that's what makes his work seem strange, but yet it's also marvelous and wonderful because he knows the heart of every person, Jew and Gentile. And because the Jews... They had to reject him for him to be crucified. He had to be crucified so that we could be redeemed. 
all people that have sinned, Jew and Gentile alike, require salvation through Jesus Christ. That wouldn't have happened if they didn't have a spirit of slumber. But their heart was already bent that way. And that's what Isaiah is highlighting here when he says, okay, go ahead and be blind. They started it. God just kind of said, okay, let me help you with that. Um, And you see the same thing. And, And this is something we do struggle with. I mean, Beth hits on something that causes all of us. Well, how is it? How is it that God can be sovereign and yet man has a free will? Man is responsible for his sin, not God. Well, the reality is, is God knows us. God made us. He knows exactly how we are, but he doesn't force us. If you look in Exodus, had to think about it for a minute, you will read about Pharaoh, and it talks about Pharaoh first hardening his heart, And then after he started the process, you read about God hardening his heart further. That's kind of what I see here with the Jews. But it's so that his wondrous work of salvation can come about. And so the Jews from Isaiah's time to present, and I'm talking about our time, still are spiritually blind. They didn't accept Messiah the first time he came. And all of us really can be grateful for God's grace and mercy and how that happened because that was God's plan to send his son to die on a cross for us. There is a remnant of Jews that accept him. And when he comes the second time, their eyes will be open. Paul? This may sound a little trite, but I've heard it said, the mystery of God's sovereignty and man's free will are two parallel lines that meet in eternity. <laughs> okay, I like that. And, and the interesting thing about that is if you talk to any one person, they would say, well, God's sovereignty never forced me. I still had a choice. And so both are taught in the Bible, God's sovereignty and God's allowing man to have a free will. Both are there. And so Isaiah tells us that in his sovereignty, the Jews wanted to be blind, so God gave them a spirit of slumber where they are to this day blind. Mickey? Yeah, that's, that's a way I hadn't thought of, but it kind of goes with the next couple of verses that Isaiah talks about where their blindness is really a blind faith. Their faith is in the wrong things instead of being in God. Look a little bit further at what Isaiah says. He says the vision, in verse 11, 
The vision of all has become unto you as words of a book that is sealed. And so what he's saying is God's word to them is now something that they don't feel they can understand. And it goes a little bit further. And it talks about the learned man and the unlearned man. We would phrase that the literate and the illiterate are not going to be able to understand. And so this gets back to that idea of understanding. They didn't have the ability to understand because God gave them this spirit of slumber. Why did he do it? Because they didn't want to know. Um, I mentioned that math class. When I was in that math class, I wanted to know, but he was talking over my head. With Isaiah, he wasn't talking over their head, and they understood it in some ways better than we today because they were in the circumstance of they were trying to make this alliance with Egypt. For you and I today, it's like, okay, where did that come from? And why is he saying this? But they would know at least that much, but they didn't want to trust God. And so he says to them, okay, go ahead and be blind. You aren't interested? God's going to seal the book. He's going to seal the words. And what's going to happen is the literate and the illiterate, both of them aren't going to understand. And so what we see with the Jews of that day and also in Jesus' day and also today is they still don't understand what God was doing to save them through Messiah. Now, their eyes will be opened one day, but it's not quite yet. And so verses really 11 and 12 highlight the fact that God's word to them has become something they can't understand. Now, from there, he kind of highlights the root of the issue. If you look at verse 13... It says, Wherefore the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. They have a vain worship. They're going through a ritual. They give an outward expression both with their lips and well as with their actions. But their heart is going in a totally different direction. And so the first thing he mentions about that is the fact that their lips do honor him. That would be an outward expression of their worship. So they go through all the right things. They do everything. Um, today we would use the term they're orthodox in every aspect of how they're going through this worship, doing all the right things, saying all the right things. But what's the problem? Their heart's not in it. Their heart isn't engaged. The heart, if we were to put it in terms that we would understand today, we come into the doors of our auditorium. There's singing, there's a message. We go through all the right things. We sing the songs. 
we say all the right things, we act the right way, but where's our heart? Is it focused on God? Or is it focused on the football games that are this afternoon? <laughs> or is it focused on what you'll be doing during the week, your big plans for the week? Um, I don't know. I've probably been guilty of it times, you know, some number of times myself. Don't know how to count all the times. David, did you want to say something? I saw your hand move a little bit. myself and saying don't take this Sunday school lesson as an exercise in learning facts mm -hmm. history what do I want you know little kids at this time of the year are letting their parents know what they want Christmas day or even before what am I saying to God do if you look at the churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3, they said to God, what the last church says, God, oh, man. And God said, I'm done. We, we, we get a cocky attitude that we're doing well spiritually. Or am I? I'm not, don't care about you. I care about, am I really honest with God? Because if I'm saying to God that I want a spirit of mediocrity, he'll give it to me. Is this next time in this room just an exercise of vain worship? Do we just go through the program or is there a place for God to speak? And I think David's hit some of the key things I was hoping we would get to on this. Sorry they No, that's fine. That's fine. In fact, yeah, I rejoice when you all find the key things in the passage, just like I did. We can look at this, like he said, as a history lesson of what the Jews were like. But it's probably far more important to you and I that we look at this and say, is this me? Am I doing the same thing they are? Um, there's an artificial fear here also. We talked about the heart here not being really engaged, but the fear of the Lord or reverence of the Lord is artificial. It's going through man's things. Now, I can tell you how the Jews did it. The Jews basically said, Here's God's commands. We're going to create another set that are a little broader to keep us safe from violating God's commands. And so they had all these things that they would do. Don't work on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday. Don't do this. In fact, throughout the New Testament, when Jesus would do work, according to their idea, he would do work on the Sabbath day, that was one of the things that really got them riled up. Well, in our religious activities of our day, there's probably some similar things. This passage, this verse in particular, to me, 
it kind of hit a very special level of importance because Jesus quoted it. Anyone know where Jesus quoted it? Okay, Mark 7 is one of them. I actually have both Mark 7 and Matthew 15, and I, I chose Matthew 15 as the one that we would go to. Uh, before we go there, one last bullet I had on there is men's commands are being taught as God's doctrines. Okay, there's a big difference. Um, I remember when we first came to Faith Baptist, Brenda and I heard someone teach something that was different than what we'd been taught growing up. My wife very sweetly raised her hand and she just said two words, prove it. Okay, and, and I loved it so much that I've remembered it decades after it happened. But that's what we ought to be saying in our heart, in our mind, to ourselves, as well as to anyone that's teaching if they teach something and say, this is how the Bible teaches us, we ought to very kindly just say, okay, show me chapter and verse. Um, and then that's when we move forward, is when we see it in God's word. But if they can't, then there's a big danger that this is man's commands, traditions, whatever else, and it's now come to a place where it's opposite or in, com in com competition with God's word. And so now if you would turn to Mark 15 or Matthew 15, I want you to see the circumstance where Jesus quoted this. Then came Jesus then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem saying, why do thy disciples transgress the transit, transit can't say it today transgress the tradi tradition of the elders for they wash not their hands when they eat bread but he answered and said unto them why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition for God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say unto his father or his mother, It is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus ye have made the command of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Elias prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commands of men. And so Jesus quotes this one verse out of Isaiah. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Isaiah, inspired by God, told it to the people of his time. Jesus, God's Son, both deity and man, all wrapped in one body, tells the Jews of his day they're guilty of the same thing. Their heart is far from him. 
They honor him with their mouth. They teach man's ideas, man's wisdom, man's commands, whatever term you want to put there, it's man that's in the center point of this. They teach what man thinks instead of God's teachings, God's word. And he said of that time, I think Jesus explicitly states that Isaiah's words were describing the leaders of Jesus' time. But it's also warning and danger for teachers, religious leaders of every age. What are we teaching? Are we teaching our ideas? Are we teaching what God tells us to? What God tells all of us? And it's something we all have to be careful about. Kurt? Exactly. Isaiah's time was 700 years before Jesus. Jesus' time, it's the same message. I wonder how much he would say that to us if he came today in our time. What are some ideas that are man's ideas, man's traditions, that go against God's word in our time? Yes, sir. Homosexuality. Okay. You hear people teaching today that people can be um, homosexual and that they can be a homosexual Christian. Basically, what that's saying is, is you can blatantly sin and be a Christian. Personally, I don't understand that. I don't see how that can be. Now, all of us fight with sin. That's not the issue. But to blatantly say that my sin is not sin and that I can be a Christian and have this, I don't think that's God's teaching. I think that's man trying to justify his sin. Um, what else? Stuff that isn't so blatant, stuff that we would possibly be getting involved in, what would that be? I'll take an easy one. We talked about tongues. Last two Sundays we mentioned that, and there's some churches. Our church, fortunately, didn't involved in that because I believe the Bible says it ceased. But I think it was either last week or the week before, I got a little thing in an email. I get book referrals out of, you know, Kindle books, and there was a, one dollar book, 70 reasons why you should have the gift of tongues or some title, something like that. With 70 reasons for tongues or, you know, trust me, I did not spend the dollar, okay? Um, but that's an easy one because we see that in other churches. It's harder to see it in our church, yes. Prosperity gospel teaching the idea of God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Uh, well, I'm in trouble because I have a cancer that's a lifelong thing until God calls me home. I guess I better find a new doctrine to, to learn because that one won't work. Okay. Um, and I, I make light of it, but the sad thing is, is 
Cindy's spot on. That's a man's idea that violates biblical principle. David, did you have another one? Yeah. We, we justify our compromising. I can listen to these people on television, although they're not. <laughs> I enjoy her. We read, I, I can remember somebody handed me a book one day. Oh, you just gotta read that. The first thing I always do is turn to where the publisher's name is and what it says, Watchtower Society. There was no further discussion. So we, well, it's just a book. Well, do you play with cobra snakes? Because it's fun and they're cute and it'll kill you. It, it, it will destroy you and we need to be, we're not being restrictive, we're being intelligent and not compromising. Yep. Discerning is a good word. Thank you, Kurt. And so we have to be discerning because, and that's why I bring up the thing, when you hear something being taught and you thought something different was being taught in the Bible, you need to ask yourself two questions. Did I get it wrong before or is it wrong now? It's one of the two. And sometimes we got it wrong before. Sometimes what we're being taught right now can be wrong. A good friend told me about a missionary. This missionary did something that I thought was really good. He would preach the Bible. Every so often he'd come to a topic where he had an opinion about it. And when he would have an opinion about it, what he would do is he would step out from behind the pulpit, in my case behind the podium, and he would say to folks, okay, this is my assessment and opinion. And once he got done sharing that, then he would step back behind the pulpit or podium and say, now let's go back to God's word, but you at least know how I feel about this. It's not wrong to share those things, but he made sure people knew that this was his idea. And Paul does that a little bit in scripture. He says, this isn't a command from the Lord, but this is my discernment about this issue. It's hard to see the things in our own life or the things in our church life where Jesus might come to us and say, your lips do honor me, but your heart is far from me. Brother Dalton. Brother Keith, uh, when I read the book of Ephesians 5, that we should be an imitator, be like Christ. And if we imitate in all our walks, and in all our thoughts, and if we just try to imitate God, then some of the things that some of us uh, agree with that. 
I, I like what Brother Dalton mentions, and that is if we're followers of Christ, i.e. imitators of Christ, then a lot of these things will fall by the wayside. And Hebrews tells us the same thing, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, but we also got to keep our heart hot, as in passionate about following Christ. It can't be just lip service. It's got to be a heartfelt desire. And so I want you to realize something. When he talks about our heart, that's our emotions. And so we got to ask ourselves, where are our emotions? Do I get more excited about coming to worship God or going to a football game or watching a football game or this thing? Beth, you had something too. I think Beth hit on a key one. A lot of times our ideas about worshiping God can be mixed up in activity versus a heart that is still and quiet before the Lord. And she mentions it as far as activities. Um, I'll give you another one. Attendance. It's not how many times we come to church in a week that matters to God. It's a matter of how hot is our heart toward showing love toward him, and that's shown in how we love others. And I, I think most of us say, ooh, that one's hard to do sometimes. There's some people that are a little prickly that we have a little harder time loving them. Brother Bob? This lesson reminds me of our upcoming holiday. Whole Thanksgiving, but how much of it really goes on as Thanksgiving is turned into a big meal okay. this year, probably without turkey. Okay. <laughs> uh, except for the part about without turkey, I think Brother Bob's got something there, and that is how much of our Thanksgiving get together is happiness overseeing one another and being together versus expressing true gratitude toward our Lord Jesus Christ and to our Heavenly Father, you know, God the Father. Those are things I wanted us to realize that it's easy to look at the Jews of Isaiah's time, the Jews of Jesus' time. It's harder to let that message say to us, well, what about me? What about me? And then he follows up with the fear toward God. Throughout our, our Bible, we see the phrase, the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord was upon them. Here he mentions the fact that the fear toward God is taught by precept of men. The truth of the matter is, they were depending on the teachings of the scribes and Pharisees. And that's what they feared was those teachings, not the one that gave the true thou shalt not and thou shalt do this. We need to be careful that 
our heart attitude when we come to worship is a, a heart attitude that's not only passionate toward the Lord, but it's reverent. Um, too many times, I think I could say I'm probably guilty of coming in with a flippant attitude about worshiping God and don't show enough fear of the Lord in my own heart. Um, the things that he's saying to these people, it's hard for us, at least for me, maybe not for you, but you know, I think for most of us, to realize this was some of the most zealous people in Jerusalem. People that thought they had it right in how they were worshiping God. And Isaiah says to them, you give him lip service, but your heart's not in it, and you don't show him proper reverence. Jesus sees the religious leaders of his day, and they were zealous. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. They get upset because they're taking literally every aspect of what they thought God was teaching in his word about the Sabbath and they were going to pursue, and that was part of the reason they wanted to crucify him, is they felt that he violated God's word. And so, who's most dangerous here in our day? Some of us, they're most zealous. We were just talking about Jesus healed the cripple on the Sabbath, and he tells him to take up his bed. Mm -hmm. And what did the leadership do? They criticized him for carrying his bed on the Sabbath. Exactly. No joy that he was healed. They ignored the more miraculous thing that God was doing a miracle in front of them and basically focused on the Sabbath. And so the issue that Isaiah is bringing out, and I don't know that I've adequately brought it out here, but hopefully it stirred our hearts some is that our heart and our reverence for the Lord needs to be preeminent. It needs to be what governs how we look at his word and how we understand his word, not the traditions and rituals that we may be taught by men or that we see in our church. And then last but not least, in his talk about their worship, he switches over to the wisdom of the wise, they think they got it together. And God, through Isaiah, says, Therefore, behold. So because of the vain worship, he says, Here's what God's going to do. I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of the wise shall perish, and the understanding of the prudent shall be hid. What's the marvelous work that God's going to do? What's the biggest marvelous work that he did amongst the Jews? He sent his son. They definitely didn't understand it. And I always remind myself if I was there with them, I wouldn't have either. Because I'm not any different than they are. So what is man's wisdom? 
Self-sufficient. Exactly, self-sufficient. I don't need a savior. I can earn my way to heaven. My good works will outweigh my bad works. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is our sin condemns us and we need a savior. The neat thing is, is this is shown in 1 Corinthians. This passage is explained. It's quoted or referenced in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 23. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made the foolish made foolish the wisdom of the world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, but it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. And so we hear Paul taking Isaiah's verse, what God gave Isaiah, and he expounds on it and he says, what's God's marvelous work? It's the cross. It's the way that mankind, all mankind, can be saved. But the Jews, it's a stumbling block. They're like, it doesn't work that way. We have here the oracles of God, the Ten Commandments, all the other commandments. We got to obey those. And to the, the Greeks, to you and I as Gentiles, he says, you all are looking for some special wisdom. That's not that either. It comes across as foolishness. But it's God's wisdom. He provides one way for us to have peace with him. And that is to come to the cross and accept a savior. Let his blood take away our sins. God foreshadowed this in Genesis when he said, for without the, remi for without the shedding of blood is there no remission for sins. And he sacrificed an animal as a picture of what he would one day do in sacrificing his son. And so Isaiah is telling them their worship's vain. Why? Because their heart isn't worshiping the person. They're looking at all the traditions and commands around it and not looking at the person. And the marvelous work that God's going to do is he's going to send them a savior. But it's not going to be what they think it is. It's a Savior that's going to first save them from their sin. And then second, his second coming, he'll save them from their enemies. And so we see here in Isaiah in just these few verses, God's wisdom is far, far greater than man's. His thoughts are high above our thoughts. And if there's anything that I would hope you and I would walk away from what we've covered most today, it would be that we need to check our heart 
Is our heart passionate for the Lord? Do we show him the reverence he's due? Those are questions that we don't need to answer publicly. We have to answer between our talking with God about it and asking him, show me where I may be guilty of the same thing because we're made of the same stuff they are. It's so easy to do traditions and not have a heart that's truly worshiping God. We'll take a little bit of a preview of coming attractions for next week because we are almost out of time. If you look at verses 15 through 17, we'll read them, we'll reread them next week. It says, Woe unto them, so here's the third woe, we've covered two others. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. And they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be, shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say unto him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he hath no understanding? Well, actually, you just cover those first two verses today. What do you see in those two verses? All right. What did you say? Our present society, that's probably a huge truth right there. Nancy? God is God and I am not. Okay. God is God and we are not. And that's a very good way of putting it. We see in these verses the roles are reversed. Mankind is trying to act like he is God and God is his servant. And the reality is God is the potter and we are the clay not the way other way around brother dalton why did i what why did i do this or why did i do that and then asking god god why 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 okay Okay. And sometimes we might find ourselves doing things uh, that God does not want us to do. And God is trying, the whole lesson is trying to pull us back to Himself. Yep. As we might compare or respect God as God as Sister Nancy said, mm. and uh, worship Him. One of the key things that Brother Dalton said, because I'm not going to be able to repeat all of them, was the word why or the question why. Sometimes we question ourselves and why did I do this or why did I do that? But more often than not, when bad things happen, we say to God, why? Why is this happening? And the reality is, is that God is sovereign. And one of the things that we need to realize and know is we need to trust him because he's always good. And everything he does has two things in mind, his glory and our good. It's never any different. 
but it doesn't always feel that way. The whys come out when we are hurting. And the reality is, is that God knows exactly what he's doing. These two verses, I would characterize this next passage that we're going to go into in the next few next week is woe to those with atheistic attitudes. Okay, we hit on a few attitudes in there today just to kind of whet your appetite to to study this a little closer. But I want you to look at this and think about it in terms of how are our attitudes sometimes atheistic? And by an atheist, an atheist denies that there is a God. And I heard a person once say, unfortunately, we as Christians live sometimes as a practical atheist. And what he was saying is, is we're living our life as though God doesn't exist. When you look at these verses, I want you to think about how does this reflect an attitude where a person's saying, I don't believe in God, I don't believe God exists. And next week we'll kind of look at that and find those specific attitudes. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Father, help us to not be blind. Help us to see you with the eyes of faith. And Father, as we talked about vain worship today, help us to let you work in our heart and reveal those ways which we might be focused more on tradition. Help us have a heart that is fervent and passionate in pursuing Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And help us to always reverence you. As we go into this worship service, may those things be true in our life and our heart. And Father, we pray that you would give Pastor Caleb the words that you would have him preach to us. And that our hearts would be receptive to receive those. And through all of this, we pray that we would exalt Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.